All right, we are live. There have been a couple of stories that have popped up recently that have caught my attention uh, that might point to the fact that the climate cult is falling apart. From Al Gore calling out corporations for greenwashing to Rashida Tlaib lashing out at bankers for not cutting their fossil fuel funding, it seems like the greenies are starting to turn on each other a little bit. Also, YouTube denied our attempt at monetizing our channel, claiming our content is harmful. We're going to be talking about that and more on episode 365 of the In the Tank podcast. All right, all right. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing just great. And I just want to send our best wishes. And we're thinking of all of our friends and listeners uh, and relatives that live in Florida. And there's several uh, Heartlanders, actually, who were in the path of that hurricane. Uh, They're fine. So uh, we're, we're thinking of you. That is, the, the the scenes of devastation are just breathtaking. And uh, uh Best wishes to you all, and let's get that cleaned up and get back to life. Yeah, yeah, we might be talking about Hurricane Ian a little bit towards the tail end of this episode. Also joining us, Chris Talgo, Senior Editor at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Doing pretty good. We had a very interesting event last night about the uh, Bears' uh, potential move to Arlington Heights, so I would uh, definitely check that out. It's uh, posted on YouTube. It's very enlightening. Oh, yes. Yes. I caught most of that. Uh, you know, I was I, I thought I was on, uh, you know, one side of it. And then I watched the presentations and it, it made me think about a whole lot of stuff that I didn't uh, factor in. So uh, if you are interested in any topics like that, corporate uh, welfare or, or, you know, stadium subsidies or anything, make sure to check that out it is on our YouTube page. A lot to get into today, but before I do, I always have that message out there for our audio-only listeners that are probably catching the show on a Friday that you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time. We are streaming on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. You can join the conversation, put your comments in the live chat, put your questions in there as well. Maybe we'll show your comments on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And uh, also, just um, another little bit of housekeeping, over Jim's shoulder, you will see a postcard. That postcard is for our 38th annual benefit dinner that is going to be taking place on October 21st, which is a Friday, here in the Chicagoland area, featuring Yomi Park, who is a North Korean defector and activist. She's going to be talking about her story, escaping from that authoritarian regime up there in North Korea. So it's a, a, an incredible story. You've got to check it out. Uh, go to heartland.org. There'll be a little featured spot you can click on to see more information about it. Or you can go to benefit.heartland.org for more information. Donnie, so anyway. one, one quick thing. I have some breaking news. According to our vice president, who is uh, on the Korean peninsula, peninsula as we speak, uh, she, oh, just, Jim? Uh, she, she just alerted the news, the news media that the United States actually has an alliance with the Republic of North Korea. Obviously, she meant South Korea, but oh, just, just goes to show the, 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 the gaffe machines in the White House 
just never, never end. So, so you were referring to our incompetent vice president of the United States, not the vice president of the Heartland Institute, which yes, you okay. Let me worry there for a Jim, second. Jim, you would never make that mistake. You would <laughs> never. True. But I just find it very, very scary that our vice president is not aware that North and South Korea are very different countries. Very, very, <laughs> yeah. very well, different. Well, we're friendly you know, with one. We're not very friendly with the other one. Last time I she, checked. But she can't tell between the size. You know, she was able to know that the that Russia was the bad guys in the current war because they're a big country and Ukraine's a small country. It's North Korea and South Korea are similar in size. So you can forgive her for making yes. that mistake. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, she says so many <laughs> really, really stupid things so often and she's reading them. Uh, are her speechwriters trying to sabotage her? I mean, she's like she's like the Ron Burgundy of vice presidents. She'll just say what it's ever. Apparently, she'll either say what's ever written in front of her and just just blurt it out. I mean, even Joe Biden is as as brain addled as he is and as, as difficult it is for him to speak at all. At least the things that are written down on the uh, on the teleprompter, like in his you know Reichstag fire speech there the other day uh, in Philadelphia. At least that stuff is written pretty competently. I mean, the the nonsense that comes out of her mouth. Is she freelancing or is somebody just trying to make her look like a even a bigger idiot than she is naturally? I would actually say that I think she's that dumb. <laughs> All right. <laughs> not a topic we had on the slate. Yeah, here. no, not so, a topic on the slate. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so I usually start off the show uh, along with uh, encouraging people to check out our video version of the show. I, I usually also talk about YouTube threatening to destroy our channel and because of because of the stuff that we talk about on the show. And I would always mention that we created a separate channel, the In the Tank podcast channel on YouTube in an effort to create a safer environment for ourselves in case we wanted to talk about unapproved topics, right? So I stopped saying this in recent episodes because we haven't really seemed to run afoul of YouTube recently. Uh, in fact, we've been exploring the idea of monetizing our channel, not so that we can run ads before or after our content or anything, but so that we can incorporate some other functions like fan support or uh, super chats. There's a whole bunch of other ways that you can get like your, your fans involved. So Andy tried to get the channel up, uh, approved. We have nearly 40,000 subscribers. We're an established organization. We can prove that we are who we say we are. So it should have been a pretty straightforward process of hitting that, yeah, monetize us button. Nope, we were denied. And the reason for that denial, because apparently we produce harmful content. Jim, uh, certainly you would just, oh, and if you're watching the video version, you see the, the notice that we got there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, harmful content. So, Jim, I, I'm certain that you would disagree with this accusation, but I can't imagine you're very surprised. What do you think? Uh, no, I'm, well, no, I'm not really surprised. I mean, we, we've tried every every everything we try to do to bring this channel, the Heartland Institute's channel. So it's uh, Heartland Tube on, on YouTube, or you can just search Heartland Institute and find it there. It seems like every time we take steps to to bring the channel more prominence, we are slapped down. Uh, you know, I watch, I actually watch quite a bit of, uh, YouTube channels from other, you know, original content producers like we are, uh, on this platform and they seem to have no trouble being monetized. I mean, and, and no matter how controversial they are now, like Steven Crowder is, is the great, probably most, most, uh, prominent example of somebody on the right being continually harassed by YouTube, but he's still, that's his job. He's still making money. His stuff is still monetized. He'll get warnings and he'll have a suspension or something like that. But, uh, you know, he's still on there. And there's other uh, content producers like Matt Walsh, for instance, or Tim Pool is another very popular guy who says much more, in a lot of ways, a lot of things that are a lot more controversial than the stuff that we do here. And so for, well, as a matter of fact, 
the Heartland Institute has several other channels other than the main channel here. One of them is Stopping Socialism. The stuff, Donnie, and you host those programs. And if you want to find that channel, you can just you can just uh, enter in the search Stopping Socialism TV. Or there's also a channels tab on our main page here. You can get a link that way. But you guys say stuff that is controversial. You guys have been monetized for more than a year. Uh, <laughs> I see the reports. I mean, you're not, you know, we're not making bank on that, but it, it helps no. you know to generate money. To, to promote the channel more and is a perpetual motion machine in that way. Uh, and I thought, actually, because of all of that, I thought, okay, we'll get the main channel on here and uh, and, and get to start to do that too. And yep, yeah, yeah, um, no, Yahoo, I'm sorry. Google YouTube says no. And that yeah. our stuff, it, what's frustrating is they, they say our content is harmful to people, harmful. Uh, so, you know, we, we have had some controversial uh, discussions about, say, I don't want to say, let's see, injections into the body to fight disease. We've had some discussions <laughs> about that. That is uh, that is that is somewhat controversial. And yep. of course, the topics that we probably hit on more than anything else is climate change and energy policy and things like that. How discussing these topics is harmful to people is a mystery to me, unless you realize that YouTube is run by radical leftists who want to silence Anything that goes against their dogma, which, again, we're going to get into into this podcast again. So I guess we'll never be monetized. But the one last point, the thing that is so frustrating about this, and I know that there are content producers on YouTube channels all over the place that have the same problem. You will get uh, a, a response saying you can't like we did. You can't monetize your channel because of, quote unquote, harmful content. Well, could you tell me what the content is, please? Can you give me some examples? Right. And they do not communicate any of that information to you. It's the same thing on Facebook. Yeah, no, this ad doesn't mean our guidelines. Well, could you tell me what's wrong with it? No. Uh, it, it's <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yeah. It's, it's not that we would censor ourselves, but I would just like to know uh, what, what, what crosses the line into harmful. They won't tell you. They just want to silence you. Andy, do you have the Google support thing that shows like what the uh, what what the harmful content is? Because <laughs> like they have a whole list of different things, and I'm very curious to know what they think we've run afoul of. So I've got I've got it here. In fact, I could probably share it. But it says, uh, you know, the, the different forms of like, uh, um, you know, harmful content apparently could be grouped into all of these things. We've got inappropriate language. I know Jim drops the s bomb every once in a while, but I can't imagine that that's where we've run afoul. Violence, no. Adult content. No. Shocking content. I don't know. Some of the things Chris says is a little shocking, but I don't think that's going to be enough for us to not be monetized. Harmful or dangerous acts. No. Hateful and derogatory content. Well, the opening about Kamala Harris was a little uh, rough, but uh, you know she's a big girl. I think she can get over it. Recreational drugs and drug-related content. No. <laughs> Firearm-related content. We talk about the Second Amendment, but if you drill down into this, it talks about like abusing and and something about trying to sell firearms we're not doing that controversial issues maybe but like again when you click on that it says controversial issues refers to topics that may be unsettling for users users and are often the result of human tragedy we're not capitalizing on human tragedy so that's not it sensitive events none of these things none of these things apply to this so I believe no. you guys, uh, and Andy, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you appealed this decision. So we're just sitting there waiting back for maybe a human to respond to uh, to see if there's like a real concrete reason why we're not able to monetize our page. Andy's shaking his head no. Um, Chris, Chris, what do you think? Do you think uh, 
what's your, what's your take on all of this? Again, I don't suspect that you're surprised at all, but it's just kind no, of seems surprised. part of the course. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed, but it reminds me of the uh, movie A Few Good Men when Jack Nicholson blurts out, you can't handle the truth, because that's really what they're telling the American people. Because nothing on that list we violate. However, I know a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of uh, monetized uh, accounts that do violate those terms on a daily you know, basis. So obviously they don't like our content. They don't like the fact that we are actually questioning you know, the, the, the narrative that they're trying to put forth. And we do it with facts and we do it you know, in, a, in a responsible manner. We're not sitting here you know, making up anything or you know, uh, saying things that aren't, that aren't supported by right. you know, empirical evidence. So just goes to show that they don't want, they don't want people uh, you know, questioning the narrative that they're just trying to drill into the minds of uh, you know, the, the public here. Yeah, so if you want to support the channel, we won't stop because you know super chats is a really cool uh, way that uh, you know you put a question in there, you you tag it with five dollars, we get the five dollars, we put it into the production of the show and all of that stuff, and uh, and then we get to read your comments or whatever. It's a fun way for for uh, our fans to support the show. Now I guess you're just going to have to <laughs> figure out a different way to show your support, but it, it's well, I mean, ridiculous. Donnie, Donnie, just you know, throughout, throughout human history, you know, going back to you know uh, the the Middle Ages, the the people in charge wanted to keep you know the, the the people underneath them at bay, whether it's not allowing them to read or you know using anything they could to wield power over them. They unfortunately have using this awesome invention of the internet and you know uh, mass communication to stifle any messages that are counter to the narrative they're trying to produce. So this is just, you know, this has been happening for millennia and it will continue to happen, but you know, there needs to be people that stand up against it and that don't, uh, uh, you know, don't bow down to the pressure. So. Yeah. I, our viewers here on the YouTube uh, live stream of this are putting up some fantastic comments, um, which actually that might be triggering YouTube's algorithm or their people. It's like <laughs> our, our, our fans uh, weighing in as we speak, but you know, you're right, Chris. I mean, this, this is really a, a totalitarian move and this is, this is the basic move of all, you know, power systems that want to retain their power. Uh, I think it's not, this isn't, you know, I've been saying this for three years and still waiting for it to, to be true, but I, I think ultimately this this kind of thing is not sustainable. I know that there is increasing movement to uh, to make big tech adhere to their uh, their special protection in the law that allows them to be a platform. And when you start censoring, especially one side of any political debate, you lose your protections and you're no longer a platform. You're a publisher. There are there are lawsuits moving. There is there's efforts to move uh, on this. And I don't think that this is going to be sustainable for big tech, uh, inevitable, you know, or, or you know, for forever. You know, right, it's it's right. going to have to come to an end at some point. They're going to have to uh, loosen. They're going to have to basically free people from jail. Uh, people are in Twitter jail. People are in YouTube jail, like we are right now. <laughs> I guess people are on probation, but they they can't they can't sustain this. Uh, they're probably going to try to get through the next election, but I, I just don't see this continuing for many more years on end. But what is wrong? with just allowing debate to happen. Mm -hmm. People here on the right, people who can think for themselves actually embrace the, the, the thoughts of others so that it can inf help inform their own positions on any topic in the world. If you're confident in yourself and your positions, you should encourage somebody to challenge them because it makes you, what you think about 
uh, any issue or, you know, your principles, it makes them stronger. Or maybe you would even change your mind. But the left doesn't want anybody to change their mind. Uh, they want everybody to be in the cult of leftism. And especially right. when it comes to the climate, which is the topic of this of this uh, podcast today, the climate cult, they can have nobody. They will they will countenance no uh, dissension from the, the climate cult ideology. Wow, man. Jim Segway champion Lakely is what they call him in the back in the high school days. <laughs> that, that is the topic that we want to get to here, which is, is the climate cult collapsing? So I've noticed a few articles that uh, seem to reveal a sign that the climate cult is at least fraying around the edges. So when we talk about the climate change agenda, the Great Reset, so-called stakeholder capitalism, ESG, sustainability goals, it seems like all the major players from the political class to the international banking system, mass asset management firms, the professional activist groups are all on the same page. They're all rowing in the same direction. At times, it seems like an insurmountable wall of forces pushing this crap. But it seems like maybe there's a brewing marital problems between all of these groups. So let's start with the bankers. So in a House hearing last week, an assortment of bankers representing J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, all members of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, all are in on this ESG scam. They're being questioned by Representative Rashida Tlaib about their commitment to lowering carbon emissions, etc. So it should be a pretty friendly interchange. So let's see how this plays out. Go ahead and play clip one, Andy. Committed, as you all know, uh, to transition the emissions from lending and investment activities to align with pathways to net zero in 2050. Do you know uh, what the International Energy Energy um, Agency has said is required to meet our goal, global 2050 net zero targets of limiting global temperature rise to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.5 degrees Celsius? So. No new fossil fuel production starting today, That's so that's like zero. So I would like to ask all of you and go down the list, because again, you all have agreed to doing this. Please answer with a simple yes or no. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products? Mr. Diamond. Absolutely not, and that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Sir, you know what, everybody that got relief from student loans has a bank account with your bank should probably re take out their account and close their account. Why would she say that? <laughs> Chris got a little heated there. Uh, what, what's going on? What, what, uh, what do you think? Okay, uh, you know, th th there's a lot to unpack here. I think that Rashida Tlaib is uh, not used to people uh, actually, um, you know, standing up for themselves and pushing back against, you know, her insane policies. So this was just like a moment where she just, you know, like was like, wait, what's happening? And just, you know, had a, you know, had a, a little like temper tantrum there. Uh, but Donnie, <laughs> just, 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 I mean, just think, think for a second how radical her position is. She is literally basically browbeating these people and just saying, yes, Ms. Talib, I will not uh, put any money toward new oil and gas developments from this day forward. That is crazy. Like, like Jamie Diamond said, our, our economy would come to a crashing, stunning, you know, uh, halt in, 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 in a matter of days, weeks, hours, minutes, whatever. Uh, you know, we obviously are not ready for, you know, her in, insane, you know, Green New Deal agenda, but she is, you know, she has drank the Kool-Aid so much that she just assumes, I, I think she just assumes that almost everyone else is in agreement with her because she's been, you know, like living in her, you know, DC bubble 
for you know the, the past few years and just interacting with donors and and her you know uh her political friends and allies who who just peddle this stuff non-stop but i think yeah. that she does I, I think that she does need a little dose of reality and i'm not a big fan of jamie Dimon by any means i'm not a big fan of big bankers but good for him for you know giving her well uh, you know a, a dose of reality there yeah, Jim, I mean, I thought all these banks were embracing stakeholder capitalism and they're all so hmm. committed to saving the planet from those pesky, reliable energy sources. Why the tension? Well, I mean, Jamie Dimon, I think his, I looked this up actually when this clip first went viral uh, late last week. I think his personal uh, personal wealth is, is at least $2 billion. Uh, you don't get that by accident. You don't inherit that money. Uh, you make that money and you make that money by being very smart. He is so much smarter than Rashida Tlaib. It's actually, you know, it's kind of like watching a, you know, <laughs> a bear kill a prairie dog or something. It's like, it's not, it's not, uh, you almost feel uh, sympathy for her if she wasn't such a nasty piece of work. I mean, she is a really nasty piece of work. Mm -hmm. But look, let, let, let's just kind of talk about what's going on here. It's like the, the cover art for this, for this podcast involves uh, Al Gore, you know, and uh, the title is, is the climate cult collapsing? Uh, Gore, let, let's just talk about that for a while. I mean, Gore and his fellow cult members, they want to keep the recent visitors to the cult in the cult. You know, it's like the alien plush toys in, uh, in Toy Story that worship the claw. One of us, one of us. You know, they want everybody to be in the cult. Uh, and, and so it's important. This is kind of like the last little bit of their plan. And it's to make the big global banks the financial muscle of the left's radical agenda because they've been trying for decades to get this, this radical climate agenda over the finish line. And they've gotten so close. And now they realize that their political muscle alone isn't going to be enough to finish off free market capitalism, property rights, individual liberty, uh, the bedrocks of a free society. The people like us and almost everybody have rejected that. Uh, so, you know, thinking human beings like you and me, we look at the climate cult and we just laugh at them, uh, at the true believers, that is, like that like that moron who accidentally set his arm on fire to protest uh, global warming. Actually, no, to protest people taking private planes to uh, Roger Federer's last tennis match the other day, <laughs> last week. I know we laugh at Greta, you know, and the whole clown parade of these people. Uh, but Gore, I think, like all cult leaders, I don't even think he even really deep down believes his own gospel in, in the climate cult. I mean, most cult leaders know that they're a cult leader and they're just doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying to gather followers and to gather power. Uh, but, you know, Gore is in it for the grift. And this is, again, why you have to get the banks involved. You know, he's Gore has made generational wealth several times over with his climate scam. Uh, and he just wants more and more and more. He just doesn't seem very satisfied. Maybe maybe he needs an upgrade for his private plane or something. I don't know. Uh, but when you but Tlaib, you know, when you're talking about these hard leftists in Congress, uh, they've embraced the global communist movement and brought it into the mainstream. I mean, they have. It, it's not good news, but they have, you know, glowing cover stories and Vanity Fair about the squad and all that stuff. That's mainstreaming. Uh, hard leftist socialism, really communism. Uh, but I don't even think those people like Tlaib is stupid enough to believe that you, we can power the modern world on sunshine and zephyrs. You know, it's, it's just they know that that's not possible. But they see promoting the climate cult and getting more people to believe in the climate cult as a means to their ultimate end, which is power. They don't even really care about getting rich on on uh, on the climate cult like Al Gore has done. They want power. Power is much more valuable than money to them. Uh, and then 
just just one last thing. I mean, so so you know, the banks being the enforcement arm for the Democratic Party in this case, or for the climate cult and the climate cultists and all this stuff, uh, they want to make they want to replace free market capitalism. They want to replace decisions bankers and investors would make to invest in projects, including, of course, energy projects that work and help people and, and create profit. They want to replace those decisions with their own decisions. They're going to take the power out of millions of people that have improved the lives for billions and take all those decisions for themselves, a very, very few people for themselves. Uh, that is scary. That is dangerous. I don't think the banks are going to go along with this. They're already starting to buckle after after saying happy stuff for a long time. But that's what this is about. It's about it's about the last the last little bit they they see. They see the finish line ahead of them. We can fundamentally transform the world through the climate cult, and we're it's right there. I can see it. The only thing that can push us over that is forcing banks to do our will. And so we'll see if they're successful. I think it's starting to fall apart. Yeah, I, 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 go, oh, ahead, go ahead, Danny. No, no, oh, no, I was going to say, I, I do have a slightly different take. I, I think that she, you know, bit off a little more than she could chew. But I do think that the big banks and, you know, like uh, big finance in general is on board with this stuff, but they just don't want to do it as haphazardly <laughs> yeah, as, as, as she wants them to do it, where it's like, OK, starting tomorrow. Yeah, we'll just, you know, stop funding all oil and gas projects. I think I think that she just, you know, just just, you know, got well, well, you know, beyond her skis there. Yeah. Well, they, they've they've already made it. They're already trying to make it, and they've done this for many years, making it somehow immoral to invest in fossil fuels. It makes it immoral to drill for oil and to provide energy for people so that they could live. Uh, and now they're trying to make it go from the moral argument to the legal argument. They want to make it illegal to invest in in uh, in, sure. in things that harm the climate. That's that's their next step. They're almost there. Yeah, I, I've got more to say about these banks, um, and I got a lot to say about El Gore. But uh, let's talk about BlackRock for a minute. So right. BlackRock is the largest asset management firm in the world. They control $8.5 trillion in assets. BlackRock is one of the biggest advocates of ESG and the Great Reset and all these types of different things. You basically can't have a conversation about ESG without talking about BlackRock in some capacity. So in August, when called out by 19 attorneys general for their work in this crony capitalist scheme and their work to run the energy sector into the ground, BlackRock responded defending ESG and their role in it. They said, quote, BlackRock does not boycott energy companies or any other sector or industry and insisted that the company's, quote, engagement and voting around climate risk does not require that company meet specific emission standards. So they're they're defending themselves. No, this isn't as far reaching as you suggest it is. Well, according to a comptroller in NYC, they aren't ESG enough. BlackRock is not ESG enough. So the progressive New York City comptroller, Blad, uh, Brad Laudner, sent uh, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink a letter accusing BlackRock of not following through with his ESG commitments after the company, quote, has repeatedly and rightly recognized climate change as an investment risk. BlackRock cannot simultaneously declare that climate risk is a systemic financial risk and argue that BlackRock has no role in mitigating the risks that climate change poses to its investments by supporting decarbonization in the real economy. The New York City comptroller called on BlackRock to respond to these concerns that the asset management 
quote, is backtracking on its climate commitments and issued a program. They actually train you oh, in software. Oh, we got an ad playing here that's interrupting me. Let's, let's take that down there, Andy. <laughs> so, and issued a veil, veiled threat writing, we will prudently reassess our business relationships with all of asset management, uh, including BlackRock, through the lens of our climate responsibilities. So, I mean, I'm going to go to you first on this one, Chris. It's a very similar question to what I said after the banking kerfuffle that we just watched. I mean, is BlackRock really walking back their climate commitments or are they just not on like the NYC Dem level crazy <laughs> when it comes to ESG and climate change? What do you think? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, within the left, you know, in the environmental left, there's maybe a bit of a schism. You know, you've got the the super far left radicals like Rashida Tlaib in this New York uh, you know, comptroller who are, you know, ringing the alarm bells of we, we've got to do this stuff literally like today, like no more uh, money going into oil and uh, gas investments. And then you've got, I think, the uh, the, you know, the other side of that where, you know, they're saying, hey, wait a second, let's go. Let's let's fly a little more under the radar. Let's do this over the long haul, 2050 or whatever, you know, net zero by 2050. So I just think that this is uh, symbolic of a, uh, you know, like a divide in the, uh, the, you know, environmentalist left. You've got and, and, and you know, th this occurs in, in all uh, political, you know, discussions where you've got, you know, like the, the radicals on one end and then you've got the, uh, the, the people more toward the middle. And then uh, you've got the people who are, you know, want to just stay with status quo. I think on this one, you know, Rashida Tlaib and the uh, New York uh, Comptroller are possibly trying to, you know, uh, you know, get in the media, you know, get uh, campaign donations, who knows what, but they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, really uh, take this to its, you know, uh, most, most uh, dangerous, you know, uh, conclusion. But uh, once again, I think BlackRock and these other companies, they're, they're not rejecting it in full by any means, but they're just saying like, hey, let's tone it down a little bit. And let's, you know, keep this keep this, you know, more more stealth. Let's not, you know, put all this craziness, you know, right out there. Yeah. I mean, Jim, your, your response to the first kind of leg of this conversation could probably be just copy and paste it over this, but do you have uh, any specific reaction to, to BlackRock not being ESG enough for these people? Yeah. I mean, that's what's, well, again, it goes to the cult. I mean, black BlackRock is, is, <laughs> Uh, the left can never be satisfied. Let's just start with that. No matter what you do, you cannot negotiate with these people. You will never get in their good graces because they don't want you to be successful. They don't want you part of the team. They want you out. They want you out of the way. And so, you know, BlackRock bending over backwards, investing in things that uh, won't make money to try to keep government regulators happy, it won't work. It never works. You have to oppose these people. You have to get rid of these, 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 not get rid of them. I don't mean it that way. But you need to ignore them. You need to make sure that they don't actually do make it illegal to invest in in oil and natural gas. I mean, to the to these cultists, to these climate cultists, and to these politicians who exploit the cult that has been spreading around the world like a uh, like a disease, uh, they they want to make investing in fossil fuels as illegal as you know being a drug runner or being a drug lord somewhere. You know, like mm -hmm. investing in cocaine. Uh, they really do believe, the cultists do, that uh, human activity is a crime against uh, the, the planet and needs to be punished that way. Look, we have been we've we get emails not not too infrequently calling us criminals, saying that we're going to one day you're going to pay for this and this going to, you know, you, and you may go to jail 
for the crimes you have committed against the earth. That's cult talk. And it's right. not, of course, it's not true, but that's cult talk. And look, and so the cult is being exploited uh, by these power hungry uh, leftists in government to to impose their collectivism, their socialism, frankly, their communism. They're, they're not trying to do that through the side door, or the back door anymore. Uh, they're kicking open the front door of capitalism and they're saying your banks now belong to us. Uh, that's that's what's really going on here dramatically, I think. Yeah, no, it, it's crazy. So you already brought up you already brought up Al Gore. So let, let's talk about Al Gore. He's he's the <laughs> biggest climate change nut out there, and uh, so he apparently has been calling the World Bank chief a climate denier. So I'm reading from a New York Times article. It says President Biden should work for the removal of the head of the World Bank. Former Vice President Al Gore said Tuesday, calling him a climate denier at an event coinciding with the United Nations General Assembly. Hours later, David Malpass, the development bank's president, defended his record on climate, but refused to say directly whether he accepted the scientific consensus that burning fossil fuels is dangerously warming the planet. Mr. Malpass called Mr. Gore's remarks very odd and noted that he was not a scientist himself. And when he declined to answer questions about whether he accepted the climate uh, science. So it's true that uh, this Mr. Malpass was nominated by President Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean he's some type of climate realist, like at all. It says here in that same article, Mr. Malpass defended the World Bank's performance, citing the climate change action plan initiated in Glasgow last year. He said the bank has directed $31.7 billion to climate finance, half of it uh, to projects that adapt to extreme weather events and other climate transformation, which are crucial for developing nations. So are we to, to believe, Jim, that the World Bank, a subsidiary of the United Nations, is is some type of climate denialist outfit? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> it's, this is all just so absurd. Go ahead. Well, that that thirty one billion dollar investment. I mean, that's uh, the monster just set that on fire. At least it would have kept somebody warm for a you know a couple hours because uh, that was that was going nowhere. Look, the the mission. Let's remember what the mission of the World Bank is. The very reason it exists is to alleviate poverty, especially sure. acute poverty in the third world. And how do you do that? without investing in oil and natural gas and coal and other cheap energy that actually works so that people can lift themselves out of poverty. You know, the, the discovery and exploitation of fossil fuels um, is the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity, ever. It, it's, it's, it's created the modern world and it sustains the modern world. Uh, but, you know, that's what the World Bank is for. And so Al Gore would have, you know, there was actually a rumor that Al Gore wants to be appointed to replace Malpass if they can push him out. Uh, oh, he's there not, you go. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just a rumor, but you know that—that's what they want. They want somebody in the cult. Mm -hmm. Do they want a cultist in charge of the World Bank? That way, again, that would be such a huge victory for them because then they would have the—you know—they're pressuring the private banks right now, uh, private investment firms and all of that, and now they would have basically the World Bank. The World Bank, a bit Klaus Schwab would just, <laughs> he would be dancing a jig if they could get a climate cultist to be the head of the World Bank. And maybe after Malpass's uh, term is up, I think it's not for several years now, um, I'm sure they'll probably get that. Uh, but, you know, Al Gore berating Malpass and saying that uh, you're, you're a climate denier just because, you know, he says, I'm not a scientist. I mean, I remember there was a Supreme Court justice uh, nominee who was asked what a woman is. 
And she says, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. I didn't, I didn't, you know, it, we laughed at it, but I didn't think anybody, uh, I, I don't great recall point. anybody saying that she needs to not be ever on the Supreme court because of that. Like they're, they're going after uh, Malpass. But, uh, what, one last thing, uh, this was in a Wall Street Journal editorial from earlier this week. I thought it was such a great point uh, where they said that the real goal in attacking David Malpass is to get the World Bank to guarantee the lending losses for green energy projects and other oh. sacraments, as I call them, of the climate cult. That's what they want the World mm. Bank to do, because all of these green investments are huge losers. And and the only way Al Gore makes it, if, if you all wondered how Al Gore has made all this money, uh, because all of his investment schemes, all this green energy schemes are all failures. They all lose money. Uh, Solyndra is the one that we remember here in the United States. There are thousands of Solyndras that have gone under. They, they, it, that is just a tiny little example of, of how, how these things can't and don't make money. They only make money because governments subsidize them and they want uh, Al Gore and others get their losses made up. Uh, by governments, and they want the World Bank to do that too. And uh, Malpass is not going that way. I mean, I guess throwing $31.7 billion as an investment, he probably figured that'd be a way to keep them off my back. Uh, I hope he stops throwing that money around and actually uses it for what it's supposed to do, which is to help bring the third world up and develop their nations and lift people out of poverty. The World right. Bank is very corrupt, but at least that's what they're supposed to do. Chris, Chris, I'll give you first swing at this next thing. Yeah. But I just want to talk a little bit more about Al Gore. So he's made a, made a habit recently out of calling out allies for not being committed enough to the cause. In fact, at the latest Davos meeting back in May, Al Gore talked on a panel specifically about greenwashing. So Al Gore said, uh, according to an S&P report on the more than 5,000 companies, only 37% have any emission targets at all for the scope one and two emissions. Only 24% have net zero targets. And of the companies that have set emission targets, less than half are aligned with the science-based approach to even two degrees, much less 1.5 degrees Celsius, to quote uh, <laughs> to Rashida Tlaib. Only 17% of the companies responsible for the most emissions have medium-term targets aligned with the 1.5 degrees pathway. So he's uh, calling out all of these things. He says... Um, uh, only 36% of them have the company that have the tools to, you know, to help them go on this, uh, on this journey towards net zero and all of that. But he's basically calling out all of these people for greenwashing. They'll say that they're in for the cause, but they're actually not doing the, the tough work that needs to be done. So he's recently made these claims again. He said recently, uh, it's become apparent that some of them that have made these impressive pledges did not immediately begin to put in place practical plans to fulfill those pledges. Investors and others are sniffing out greenwashing more readily these days, said Gore, uh, and the pressure is going to grow. And apparently the pressure is too much for some of these people that join these Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Because it says in this article that I'm reading from, it's an MSN article, it says against the black drop, uh, uh, backdrop of growing scrutiny, GFANS has now seen its first official defections. There's a company in uh, Austria that's a, a pensions firm. They quietly exited GFANS last month, according to the GFANS unit uh, to which it reports. And the departure of a $46 billion uh, construction and building unions fund uh, known as CBUS. They uh, was made public earlier this month by a sub-alliance to which it belongs. So there's a couple of these firms that are getting out of this GFANS plan. 
So it says, uh, this is a quote from this CBUS organization. It says, we made the difficult decision to focus our resources on the internal climate change activities, a spokesman of Melbourne, Australia-based CBUS told Bloomberg. We support the important work of the Alliance is doing and wish all the members the best in their endeavors. So, I mean, sure, you know, these firms are a little bit smaller in the grand scheme of things, but the article continues. It says, last week it emerged that Wall Street heavyweights J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., Bank of America Corporation, and Morgan Stanley were considering a possible exit from GFANS. Uh, that was followed by a clarification of the GFANS criteria, giving financial firms scope to set weaker fossil fuel targets and ostentatiously easing tensions behind the scenes. For some, the development was a red flag. It, quote, calls into question how genuine their commitment was to net zero in the first place, uh, said the head of the banking program at Share Action, a nonprofit that promotes responsible investment. Ultimately, this is indicative of the limits of leaving urgent climate action up to banks and other voluntary initiatives. <laughs> so... What are these? Uh, so why are these firms doing this? So CBUS didn't uh, cite concerns about legal risks for the departure of G fans. Instead, it listed the administrative burden involved in staying. That's the development regulations and standards requirement signatories uh, to meet parallel frameworks. For some, these hurdles have led them to scrub G fans from the get go. Blackstone Incorporated, Apollo Global Management Incorporated, KKR and Co. Incorporated are among private equity giants that judge GFAN's membership as unnecessary burden. Insiders on conditions of anonymity have referred to the near impossibility of coming up with credible plans to eliminate their carbon footprints by 2050 as reasons enough to avoid GFAN's and its sub-alliances. This seems humongous, Chris. I mean, this giant cronious system just seems to be crumbling. I mean, these banks that were like the cheerleaders for this stuff are just like apparently behind the scenes are like, mm, maybe we should keep our distance. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Yeah, Is this I whole mean, cronious system deteriorating? I think in some ways, yes, but I don't think that these banks have had an epiphany where they're saying, you know what, actually, let's let's, you know, fund fossil fuels and let's get off the you know renewable bandwagon. But there were a couple of uh, lines in that piece that really stood out to me. And it was the fact that they are saying voluntary does not work. So if voluntary doesn't work, then that means that they're going to implement force or coercion. And if they're saying, you know, if you guys want to do this voluntarily, well, then we're just going to have to use, you know, government uh, to force you to do so. So that to me is actually a very scary uh, possible development. I, you know, I, mean, I don't want either one. I don't want the banks to kowtow for, you know, pr uh, for political pressure or because, you know, regulations or whatever. But I also don't want the, you know, the government to say, well, fine, if you're not going to play ball, well, then we'll make you play ball. Because I think that both of those uh, roads are very dangerous to go down. And Donnie, just one last thing on uh, Al Gore. So uh, Al Gore's book and his movie came out when I was in high school. And one thing that I've just noticed, and this is, you know, this is not, you know, breaking news by any means, but almost all of his, uh, you know, estimates of what would happen have not come true. So what has he done? He just keeps ramping up the the hype. And then when some of these people, I think, you know, at these banks and such say, hey, wait a second, buddy, for the past, you know, 30 something years you've been saying all this crazy stuff's going to happen and it's actually not happening <laughs> we might we, we might want to you know like like second guess some of this stuff 
What does he do? He doubles, triples, and quadruples down and says, no, 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 no. We need to end fossil fuels, you know, immediately. So it's just, it, it, it lacks all logic, all sense. And uh, I, I'm, I'm worried about if they, if they don't, if they don't get it through voluntary, what are they going to do to get it through force? Sure. What do sure. you think? Yeah. Jim, I'm going to come to you, but I got one more thing about Al Gore. So um, I I think it was easy for these corporations and these banks and these asset management firms to sign on to this at first. Like it just seemed like it was just virtue signaling. Like we just put some like green flag at the top of our website and we get to be a part of G fans. They just had to like shake Al Gore's hand on the stage and claim they're reducing carbon emissions or at least soon will be. And now these commitments are becoming to be uh, a little bit more toothy and, and people are scrambling for the exits. That's what it seems like. So in Al Gore's presentation at Davos that I mentioned earlier, he proposed a very weird solution to this greenwashing problem. And let me preface this by saying I'm not joking. I I transcribed these quotes myself. I watched the presentation. So he said, and this is Al Gore sharing his exciting news. He says, we are about to enter an age of radical transparency. I have been among those who have formed a new coalition called Climate Trace stands for Tracking Real-Time Atmospheric Carbon Emissions. It's a coalition of artificial intelligence, technology companies, NGOs, and universities using data from 300 existing satellites from multiple countries, ground, sea, and air-based sensors, and internet data streams to use machine learning to create algorithms for every single subsector of the economy. This October, we will publish the world's first inventory of exactly where the greenhouse gas gas emissions are coming from and in what amounts. He continues saying, it is going to make a dramatic difference so that investors, supply chain managers, NGOs prioritizing their campaigning activities, financial institutions, if they want to know where the emissions are coming from, scope one, scope two, scope three, upstream, downstream, it's all going to be laid out for the world to see. So I think these, (laughs) I feel like all these giant corporations are just like, dude, El Gore's crazy. And from what I understand, you're not supposed to date crazy. <laughs> so, so, well, you, so can, you can date you, you can date crazy. You don't marry crazy. That's, that's it. That's it. Uh, I mean, I mean, come on, man. Like this is getting like James Bond level crazy in, in terms of how we, they're going to like punish these firms for their their actual true carbon emissions. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, well, you're you're reading that actually. I didn't uh, I didn't prepare by clicking that link in the show notes today. So when I saw it, it was like I was like, nope, I'll pass. <laughs> no thanks. Uh, and I think I think that's going to be the reaction of just about every uh, every banker uh, around the world. It's like, uh, what who who do you think you are? I yeah. mean, first of all, and we're supposed to trust the data that was collected by AI and all the stuff. It's like, look, nobody's going. Nobody can trust that. I I I wouldn't trust it at all. Uh, and so, so some nebulous AI driven authority is going to let you know how much carbon dioxide you've emitted and what you have to do about it or what you're going to have to pay to make up for it or all this kind of stuff. You know, even the imagery on that website, what was the name of that? Uh, Rehoboth, was that the name of the computer system in uh, <laughs> yeah, season four West of Westworld West. that basically controlled everything around the world? 
Uh, and so it's like, uh, Al Gore, that was, that was a, uh, that was a TV show, buddy. Uh, that's not going to happen in the real world, at least not now. Like you want it to happen. I don't know. Uh, but, you leave, yeah, you but leave that, Bill Gates and, uh, and them up to with, with a fleet of satellites. I'm not sure what's, what's going to be past their capabilities. Well, well th this is having me rethink my uh, original or my earlier point that Al Gore anymore doesn't even believe his own bullshit, you know, as a cult leader anymore that he realizes like Jim Jones did that, you know, I'm just, I'm just collecting people and power to myself and he doesn't really believe it. But now when i see that and he's advancing that i think maybe he he is uh, a, a real still a real true believer but boy does he have greed and he wants to make money and he wants control i mean it, it, all of this is about control um you know they want to control us us little people us normal people but they also want to control the entire global financial system and make it directed toward advancing the climate cult because the climate cult is the avenue to collectivism and i'm sorry global communism uh, or fascism, you know, that, that's another right. way to control the society. And, but I was struck by that article that you were reading earlier uh, before Chris commented that, you know, uh, ultimately this exposes the limits of leaving this kind of thing in the hands of banks to do the right thing. Right. So what's the next step? The next step is what we were talking about. They, they've gone from trying to discourage and making it dirty and immoral to invest in, in fossil fuels to making it illegal. Uh, it, this is this is madness. And what you're uh, the reason why I think a lot of these um, bankers and you know powerful people in finance around the world are like having second thoughts about this. It's because they realize one, uh, I guess I guess we're not going to make money on this because um, <laughs> you can't create wealth yeah. through a green energy economy. You can create wealth through a fossil fuel normal ener uh, you know energized economy, uh, but you can't do that with green energy. You can't create wealth. You can only redistribute it. And they're start they're starting to wake up to it. I mean, I wish they'd wake woken up to it ten years ago and told Al Gore uh, to get lost. And uh, go ahead, you can do your your carbon trading scheme and all that stuff, and and you know set up a carbon exchange like the uh, you know like the New York Stock Exchange and lose all of your money and then be in poverty. Let that be your decision. But instead, right. they've gone along with this because they have found a way to make short term gains on this on this scheme on this whole entire scam. But they're starting to they're starting to realize that uh, you know it's it's a bit of a pyramid scheme. And they're starting to look around and realize there's a lot of people down here. Uh, maybe we're at the bottom. <laughs> we don't want to yeah. be here anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so I want to I want to bring up another kind of facet to all of this. And, and that's to all of this should be talked about in the context of public perception. So if the public was clamoring for climate action, it would be much more difficult for these organizations to kind of sound their displeasure or try to get out of the bed that they made. But the public largely doesn't care about climate change. We see this in the polls all the time. I'm going to quickly go over this um, just because I'm short on time. But one poll I found was on NPR, and they were asking what issues you care about most going into the midterm uh, voting booth. So inflation, abortion, health care, January 6th hearings, immigration, guns, and crime. Climate change wasn't even an option. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're all going to die. You think it's number one, It's not even an option. So this is nothing new. We've talked about how climate change always lags in these polls constantly or anything. But I do want to play another video because even the people that say they really care about this issue don't actually seem to. So I have a clip here of a student activist who participates in the climate strikes in New Zealand. Uh, that's when they don't go to school on Fridays uh, for climate change. She's doing an interview with a radio host in New Zealand, 
And uh, when the, when the clip starts, they're talking about you know things that need to be done to to decrease our carbon footprints, perhaps air travel restrictions. The rest of the clip will speak for itself. Go ahead, Andy. Example. So we would have to apply to have like approved events to be able to fly for. Well, that's one thing that you could look at doing. Am I allowed to go to Fiji? Is that necessary? In the current climate crisis, I don't think that that's necessary. When was the last time you were on a plane? Mm, I'm not sure. Maybe a few months ago, to be honest. Where'd you go? Fiji. <laughs> Izzy! <laughs> Izzy! Don't you care about the climate, Izzy? Of course I care about the climate. Not enough. You went to... <laughs> You went to Fiji. <laughs> Izzy, come on, mate. Are you serious? <laughs> are you serious, Izzy? No, it's are you, pretty are you still there? It's not it ironic. It's pretty <laughs> ironic, but to be honest, it's not really a trip that I wanted to go on, but I can't really get out of it. Because Why'd, my you go? Go. Why'd you go? Why'd you go? My parents wanted to go. Izzy. I didn't want to go. How are you embarrassed that your parents did that to the planet and then forced you to do it as well? Of course, I'm not embarrassed. Did you have did a you terrible have time? Did you have a terrible time? Not really. I didn't. Have <laughs> well, she oh lost goodness. her spot as the uh, up and coming. Uh, uh, what's her face? The how dare you girl? God, I can't think of her Greta. Name. Yeah, Greta. Right. Uh, so Chris, I mean, between that, you know, uh, we, we've got a, we got a strike when it comes to education to show how important this climate change is. And I'm going to go to Fiji on my spare time. Plus all the polls that we've talked about. I mean, is there just not like the, the public outcry that they think that there is for this stuff? Well, maybe among adults, but you know, I'm a former high school teacher and, uh, you know, I quit teaching about what, five years ago now. And, uh, I can tell you that uh, what was taking place in high school classrooms, high school science classrooms was climate change, climate change, climate change, hysteria nonstop. And it wasn't even just science classrooms. It was almost every uh, subject, uh, it, even if it had no relevance to climate change whatsoever. So I'm uh, somewhat worried that, you know, the Izzy's of the world will grow up one day and they will just buy this stuff hook, line and sinker because they have been indoctrinated and brainwashed. Uh, throughout their uh, childhood and their early adulthood, because I'm pretty sure that colleges are spewing this stuff like really crazy. So, yeah, I mean, we might have the uh, the uh, majorities on our side now because I think that most uh, most adults realize that, hey, maybe, uh, you know, this stuff is not as uh, bad as they're claiming it is to be. But I am somewhat worried because I see a lot of polls among young adults who are buying this stuff and saying, no, I don't even want to have kids because, you know, climate change and, you know, the world world's going to end in 12 years because AOC says it is and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be the pessimist here. I'll uh, let Jim be the optimist for change. Yeah. Jim, when you <laughs> sent this clip to me, I, I was like, Oh, please tell me this is real. Like, cause I didn't believe it. I really, I thought this was like an SNL skit. Well, SNL's not funny anymore. Not Some even. type of skit like that. <laughs> Right. Trust me, if you were to go and, and pull a bunch of high school kids, they would just say that climate change is, you know, going to end the world. And yeah, but but know, just like the virtue people. signaling that we talked about with the banks, it's very easy to say that stuff. But it actually comes to changing any of your actions. It's not I guess it's more difficult, but it's just like people are unwilling to do it. 
So I don't know, Jim, what do you think about all this? Well, I mean, this, uh, you know, the climate cult, right? The leaders of the climate cult, they, they believe that ultimately time is on their side because they have hundreds of millions of children around the world who are in the cult, who have been mm -hmm. indoctrinated into the cult their entire life. Uh, this poor Izzy. And so, yeah, you asked me, is, you didn't believe it was real, that this this was no. some kind of gag. No, but it, it was. And the, the proof that it was is that uh, Izzy Cook. So, look, Izzy Cook is a 16 year old girl. Uh, she's she's been brainwashed. Uh, but her and her parents, notably, are pushing her forward out there to be like another Greta. Uh, the the reason we know this real is because her mother complained about the way this uh, radio host in New Zealand treated her daughter and accused her of bullying her. <laughs> now, look, if you're going to put your daughter out there to save the planet and become a global celebrity for saving the planet and you get upset when she's asked a few questions. And actually, the only question was, have you been in a, on a plane? Oh, you have. Where'd you go? Oh, I went to Fiji after just telling me <laughs> that the thing we have to stop is people going to Fiji, that you have to ask government permission to go on vacation to Fiji if you're if you live in New Zealand or I, I suppose anywhere else. And it, it's just so, you know, when I was by the time I was 16, the best vacation I'd ever been on with my family was like basically driving to my uncle's house in Kentucky and going camping. You know, that was <laughs> that was yeah. a big family vacation for me when I was 16, not flying to Fiji. And it's just <laughs> so amazing from Al Gore all the way down to, to John Kerry, our climate czar here in the United States. They all get on private planes um, or government planes and they fly all over the world and they get to live the way they want to live. Izzy Cook and her family get to live like they want to live, yet yet the little virtue signal about how much they care about the planet. You actually don't care about the planet if you're doing those sorts of things. You know, lead by example. Uh, so, you know, the climate cult is still strong. They do have a lot of these kids on their on their side. And that's why they think that ultimately time will be on their side. While at the same time saying we don't have any time because the, the earth is going gonna, is gonna to be destroyed. So, look, I think actually the climate cult is collapsing. And it's, it's because of things like this. People, people are going to start waking up. The, the banking system, the, the world financial system is waking up to the fact that none of this stuff is profitable, that this is going to lead to major economic collapse. The energy crisis in Europe is just starting and winter is coming. And that's going to be a huge wake up call. Uh, so, you know, while voters in the United States don't vote on climate, um, they actually might start doing that, voting against these morons, these maniacs who are putting in, in these policies that are making life miserable and really more dangerous for everybody, everybody around the world. Jim, we have a uh, uh, one more clip of, of a meteorologist talking about the hurricane on CNN's Don Lemon show. Um, do you want to play that? Should we save that for our climate change roundtable show tomorrow or I'll, I'll make it your call here? Uh, play it because it actually shows another. That's why I gave it to you. It's yet another example of how the climate cult is crumbling. OK. All right. Let's go ahead and play this clip. No setup. Can you tell us what this is and what effect climate change has on this phenomenon? Well, we can come back and talk about climate change uh, at a later time. I want to focus on the here and now. We think the rapid intensification is probably almost done. There could be a little bit more intensification as it's still over the warm waters of the uh, eastern Gulf of Mexico. But I don't think we're going to get any more rapid intensification. If you look here, you can actually see, pretty interesting for your viewers, you can actually see a second eye wall forming around the inner eye wall and that's basically the second eye wall has overtaken the original eye wall and that should arrest development. Uh, so listen, I just, I'm just trying to get that you said you want to talk about climate change, but what, what effect does climate change have on this 
phenomenon that, that is happening now? Because it seems these storms are intensifying. That's the question. Here. I don't think you can link climate change to any one event. Okay. On the whole, on the cumulative, so climate change uh, may be making storms worse, uh, but uh, to link it to any one event, um, I, I would caution against that. Okay. Well, they, uh, listen, I grew up there, and these storms are intensifying. Something is causing them to in intensify. Yeah, but Donnie, I'm just trying to get you to link this to climate change. That's what was going through Don Lemon's head. Go ahead. He's, he's, he's just dead wrong. And the key word was, it seems. It, it feels, it seems. Everything's emotion, you know. They, they, they hype up these storms. But actually, if you look at the, at the record over the past 100 years, the amount and intensity of storms uh, in the United States, that have, uh, hurricanes that have made landfall, is drastically down. So it, it, that is an empirical fact that they just mm -hmm. do not want to address. And here's what they do. You know, the, every time there's a storm, they, they, you know, get the hype machine pumping. They've got, you know, all their reporters there on site trying to, you know, just like make it seem like it's this devastating, you know, event. And it, it is, obviously. But you know what? They are lying through their teeth when they're saying that this is happening more and with more intensity, sure. at least related to hurricanes. It is a complete and utter falsehood. Yeah, this is going to be a That guy is... I'm Go just going to say that guy's that guy's the head, uh, the the acting director of the National Hurricane Center at NOAA. I'm sure Don Lemon fully expected him to just go ahead and, and parrot the idea that yeah, climate change is causing these things. I mean, I don't have cable anymore, but I, I the Weather Channel became unwatchable because mm. every storm was called well, you know, and they had big specials on climate change and all this stuff. Dude, just give me the weather, show me the radar. That's fine. And for this guy to basically twice try to be uh, looped into going along with the climate cult, he decided not to. And one of the reasons why, a big reason why, is because not even the United Nations climate reports say that uh, global warming is making uh, hurricanes more frequent and more strong. You can look right. it up for yourself because that is the truth. And uh, kudos yeah. to this guy for actually saying the truth instead of just you know parroting the narrative and keeping the cult going. Yeah, well, the Climate Change Roundtable show, which is every Friday at noon Central Time, is surely going to be talking about this. So uh, check that out if you want to hear more about this uh, this Hurricane Ian and, and everything that's uh, related to that. But for this episode of the In the Tank podcast, we are already a couple of minutes long. So I'm going to call it a day and thank everyone for joining us on uh, for this episode of the In the Tank podcast. For those audio-only listeners, which is like 99% of you, if you want to join in the, the show live, watch the video version. We are streaming on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. You can join the conversation, put your comments and questions in there. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, if you want to support this channel, there's uh, you can't do it through the standard things because YouTube won't allow us to monetize our channel. But there's a couple of things that you can do. One is hit that like button. One is share this content. Another one is put a comment underneath the video. All things that'll help break through that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people. You can also follow us on Twitter at In The Tank Pod. You can send us your comments, suggestions, or questions to the show by emailing us at inthetankpodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter. Always go to heartland.org, especially to sign up for our benefit dinner October 21st. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Stoppingsocialism.com. Got a lot of new uh, stories up there about socialist candidates running in the 2022 midterms, which are less than six weeks away, everybody. Fantastic. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>